0: You want to know the love of God that rebuilds your life? Then you must come to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I'm going to start a kind of a, a series. It may be kind of more of an incidental uh, series, but on the, on the prophet Malachi. Um, uh, pastor wade asked me a couple of weeks ago to uh, start looking through to start preparing these Um, so it's uh, really a joy to be able to come and uh, be able to share um, this first message from malachi Um, for those of you who don't know uh, who malachi is uh, which in one sense i wouldn't be tremendously surprised uh, he's uh, it's a small book the very last book um, at the end of uh, at the end of the old testament and um, uh, malachi um, he 's what 's called a post exilic prophet, um, which to break it down um, Israel they came out of Egypt, they came out of that house of slavery, they had about four hundred years of time uh, where they were led by the judges that if you 've uh, been following uh, pastor wade's uh, children 's talks you'll you'll know about uh, the judges. then they had the kings, the first king was King Saul who we're looking at uh, in kids uh, in the kids' talks now, and uh, then they had uh, a, you know, a good couple hundred years of being led by kings. And then, because God kept on telling them that you've got to be obedient to me, you've got to follow me because we're in covenant with one another. And if you break covenant, then you're going to go into exile. Then you're going to be taken out of your land and you're going to go into exile. And that's exactly what happened. The people of God, they ended up in exile uh, for about 70 years. And then after those 70 years, God said, I'll bring you back to your land. I'll bring you back uh, to the land of Israel. I'll give it back to you. You'll be rebuilt. And that's exactly what had happened in Malachi's day. Um, The people, they had just come out of that 70 years of exile. They arrived back in the land. The city of Jerusalem, which was their capital city, was, it was just destroyed. Totally destroyed. It had been torn down and then nothing had happened to it for 70 years. So the people come, they come back into the land. Um, there were two main groups. There was a group led by a guy called Nehemiah, and they rebuilt the city. They rebuilt the city wall. They reestablished their culture. They reestablished uh, really their civilization. And then there was another group uh, who arrived at a slightly different time, led by a guy called Ezra. Ezra, he was a priest, he was a scribe, and they rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. They reestablished the worship of gods. And this is a situation that they're in now during that time uh, the people they'd come they'd got a bit disheartened because there were some people who were coming against them they were like why are the people of israel why are they back in the land why are they rebuilding their city why are they rebuilding their temple and they got a bit discouraged but then some prophetic words were given to them and they courageously uh, went on and they rebuilt and so even when they were feeling down God gave them strength to rebuild even when they were feeling weak God gave them strength uh, to carry on and this is the situation Malachi is speaking into the people they've just been reestablished. The city is being or has been just rebuilt. The temple is just about to re- be rebuilt. It's kind of around that time. All these things are happening. And then God comes and he speaks through Malachi. Now, after Malachi speaks, he's probably the last prophet in the Old Testament. And one thing you don't see because you turn from Malachi chapter 4 and you then turn to Matthew chapter 1 and it's like, for us, it's a massive difference of one page or one click of the button on your phone if you prefer to read the Bible app on your phone. For us, it's a massive difference of one page or one click. For them, Malachi to Matthew was 400 years. 400 years where There was no prophet. Now for us, it's like prophet is one of the ministries that God does in the church. There's four others. There's apostles as well as prophets. There's evangelists. There's pastors. There's there's teachers. For them, if you missed the word of the prophet, you missed the word of God. That's why for them, prophets were so important. That's why for them, the test of a prophet, thank God this isn't the test of a prophet now, but the test of a prophet was, if their word comes true, they're genuine. If not, they're false and you kill them. Because if you missed the word of the prophet, you missed the word of the Lord. 400 years. That's, as I said, by the way, that's not the test of a prophet today um so don't go around killing somebody who you think got a wrong prophetic word that's not a good thing to do just uh, just putting that out there but malachi was the last voice before this 400 years of silence uh, just imagine because god knew what was going to happen in one year time from malachi's word god knew what was going to happen 100 years from Malachi's word. God knew that in 400 years time he was going to send the angel Gabriel to Zachariah and to Mary. God knew these things. Now maybe this isn't good memories for some of you but take yourself back to school when you were just about to sit a test and the last thing your teacher says to you, do you listen to it? Okay, well, maybe no one else. But for me, anyway, if I thought my teacher had any idea what was going to be on the test, I'd listen to the last thing they said before I went into that exam hall. Because maybe it will help me as I go into this exam. Maybe it will help me as I go forward into this situation. Malachi, the last prophet before 400 years of silence. It was an important word to the people of Israel. It was going to prepare them for the next four centuries where God wasn't going to say anything else. And for us too today, his word is just as relevant as it was back then because as Jesus says, he says, um, the, the earth itself may fade away. Heaven and earth may fall away but the word of the Lord stands forever. So this word that Malachi says, yes, he said it to a group of Israelites who had just come back into their land. He said it to them two and a half thousand years ago, but it's just as relevant. It's just as powerful today as it was when God first spoke it because the, the word of the Lord does not fade away. Now, in the book of Malachi, it's kind of like for those of you who were, I think it was last Sunday where Pastor Wade went through the book of Jonah and it goes through and it's this, it's this amazing story of what God does in Jonah's life and then you get to the end of the book and it kind of just ends. There's not really a, a, a proper end and it just stops. That's Malachi. That's how the book of Malachi goes. There's kind of six main points that God makes because people, I don't know if you've, had a, if you've noticed, Maybe you've noticed it it in yourself. Maybe you've noticed it in others. People generally have a tendency to complain. Anybody else notice that? Number one in Wales is the weather. (laughs) Number two is the buses and trains. Um, People have a tendency to complain. And there were six main things that God said that people were complaining about. There were six main things that God said the people were doing wrong, that they were dishonoring him in them. And we're not going to look at all six, um, but we are going to look at the first one. And it kind of, each one kind of builds upon the last. So God starts off with this point, and then he goes on to the other five. So I just want to read to you um, this first section, which is um, Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, down to Malachi chapter one, verse six. And uh, I believe Carlos has them on the screen. Uh, But if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to have them open and be following along there as well. This is what um, Malachi says. He says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They may be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I, the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts. And we'll stop there because the end of that verse uh, goes on into the next section. So God's, God's main statement to his people is I have loved you which I hope in your own lives you you'd give a amen. Yeah. amen God says I have loved you and your heart replies amen. amen God I see your love you know we've just celebrated Easter and what what manner of love is that that even while we were still sinners, Christ gave his life for us. So Christ says to us, and God says to us, he says, I have loved you. And I hope our hearts respond. Not just an amen because everybody else is, but an amen because I believe that. God says to me, I have loved you. And your heart's reply is, God, I know and I see it. But that wasn't, that wasn't their reply. That wasn't their reply. God said to them, I have loved you. And they replied, in what way have you loved us? God, you're saying you've loved us. How have you loved us? You're saying that you've shown your love to us. I don't see it. I don't believe it. I refuse to acknowledge it. If your heart is in that place this morning, if, if rather than the amen to I have loved you, your heart's reply would be more like that, then I pray that by the end of this message, God would have changed your heart. But don't try and, don't try and hide it. Don't try and say, that's not where my heart is. If that's where your heart is, then acknowledge it. Because the first step in repentance The first step in the people responding to the correction that God's bringing through the prophet Malachi is that they acknowledged where they were. So if you hear God say, I have loved you. If your heart's reply is, Amen, Amen, God, I see it, God, I know it, then wonderful, I rejoice with you. But if your heart's reply is, I don't see it, I don't believe it, I refuse to believe it, then acknowledge that's where you are and let the word of the Lord change your heart. This is God's reply to them. God says, I've loved you. They said, in what way have you loved us? And this is God's reply. He says, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Now, for those of you who don't know, the answer to that is yes. Esau was Jacob's brother. We have Abraham, um, You know, Abraham, father of the faith, called out of Ur of the Chaldeans, went, you know, amazing man. Um, You then have, he had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac then had two sons, Jacob and Esau. So when God says, was not Esau Jacob's brother? The answer is yes. He says, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Now, there's something interesting about Esau and Jacob. Esau was older, and um, in their culture, the younger children would serve the older one because the firstborn was the most important child. But God said, no, the younger, who was Jacob, later renamed Israel, he would be the most important. That Esau would be the one to serve Jacob. But God goes further than that. He says, guys just remember you're saying how have you loved me let me remind you of the one who founded your nation Esau was Jacob's brother yet I said Jacob I've loved God said Jacob I've loved he he went to Jacob and he said you um I was a god of your grandfather Abraham I was a god of your father Isaac and I am your god and I'm going to make you a great nation that the reason the nation of Israel is called Israel is because of Jacob. God God didn't call them the nation of Israel and then go, that's a cool name, I'm going to call Jacob that as well. He renamed Jacob Israel and then said, Jacob, Israel, from you is going to come a mighty nation. He had 12 sons, there's the 12 tribes of Israel. From that one man who God loved, who God blessed, did he, did he have everything right and deserve God's grace in his life like that? No, absolutely not. He messed up. He, he tricked people. He, he was actually married to four different women. He was not a good man, but God changed his life. God changed his heart, and God made him a great nation. So when Malachi is speaking to their people and go, remember, God loved Jacob, they'd be like, absolutely right. God loved Jacob. God loved Jacob, but he says, but Esau, I've hated. Sometimes we're like, wait, wait, what? God, you hated someone? He says, yes, I did. I hated Esau, but I didn't hate you. I hated Esau, but I didn't hate you. And that's his point. The people, they're turning around to God saying to them, God, I love you. And they're saying, God, we don't think you did. We think you hated us. And you go, no, 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 no. I loved Jacob. I loved Israel. I hated Esau. And now he goes on and what he's saying is he's saying, you you think I hated you? Remember where you were 50 years ago. You were in the land of Babylon. You were in captivity. You were destroyed. You had no homeland. You had no temple. You had no life. Look where you are now. You're back in the land of your fathers. Your city has been rebuilt. Your families are reestablished. Your temple is rebuilt, and you're able to worship me in the temple in Jerusalem. I've rebuilt your whole life. That's how much I've loved you. Maybe some of you could relate to that, that God has rebuilt your whole life. And that's how much He loves you. The direct change of God in your life led you to the point where you are now. That, that's what Israel was like. Most nations, when they're taken away into captivity, that's the end of the nation. There, there's no going back from there. About a hundred years before Judah, and these are the people who returned to the the city of Jerusalem and rebuilt, about a hundred years before Judah was taken into captivity, the northern ten tribes, the nation of Israel, they were taken into captivity, (coughs) never to be seen again. Disappeared off the face of the earth. People have no idea what happened to them. But God said to the, the tribe of Judah, you're going to go into captivity, and I'm going to bring you back. God preserved them. God rebuilt them. God reestablished them. God, um, they, even in all the opposition they were facing of people saying, no, you can't rebuild the city. No, you can't rebuild the temple. God gave them everything they needed so they could rebuild. That's how much God loved them. He says, I loved you. I didn't hate you. Do you want to know what the hatred of God looks like? He says, let's look at the nation of Esau. Now, just to clarify, later on in verse 4, he refers to Esau as Edom. Esau was the father of the Edomites. The nation that came out of Esau, they were called the Edomites. The reason is, is because Edom was Esau's nickname. uh, uh, Edom literally just means red, red. So as it turns out, even 3,000 years ago, they were still nicknaming people Ginge. Um, but that's li- literally all it was. Esau, he had red hair. So they're like, hey, red. They were very creative. Um, they called him Red. They called him Edom because that's red in their language. And then his tribe, rather than being the Esauites, they were like, let's call ourselves the red people. So um, that, when he refers to Edom, he's referring to Esau. So he says, you want to know what hatred looks like? He says, Jacob, I've loved. You should see that from the way I'm treating you. You should see that from where you are. Even the stories that your parents were able to tell you of what it was like in Babylon and where you are now in the land that I gave you, rebuilt in the land that I gave you. That's how much I've loved you. The hatred of God looks like this. Esau, I laid waste his mountains. The Edomites, the children of Esau, they lived up in the mountain region. And God said, I laid waste the mountains and His heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. I, I, I purposely tore down their cities and gave it over to the wild beasts. That Esau, they said, I've been impoverished and I will return and build the desolate places. That's exactly the situation Israel were in. That there were the Israelites, the children of Jacob, they were in a place where they were desolate and they were intending on going back to the land to rebuild. And then you have the Edomites, the children of Esau, and they were in a place where they were desolate and they were planning on going back to their land to rebuild. The Israelites? God aided them in their rebuilding. God helped them. They literally stopped rebuilding the temple and the walls for 40 years because they were afraid. And then God sent a prophet, God sent a a, a leader along who basically um, encouraged them and aided them so that they could go, no, God wants you to rebuild. God wants you to be reestablished. And then they rebuilt the city. God aided them. And then he says, But the Edomites, they may build. Maybe they'll manage to rebuild, but I will throw it down. So even if they manage to rebuild their cities, I'll tear them down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. This is what Esau is going to be like. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. That you have on one side, you have Israel and they're in the position where they were really, really struggling to rebuild. They were really, really struggling to get reestablished. And God, because he said he loved them, because he said he was going to help them, because he said, you're my people and I'm your God, he helped them rebuild their city. He helped them rebuild their culture. He helped them rebuild their temple. He helped them rebuild their lives. That's what the love of God looked like to Israel. And then on the other side, you have Esau, the Edomites. They rebuilt. God says, I'll tear it down. God says, you you rebuilt your cities out of desolation. I'll make them desolation again. I'll undo everything you've done. So it's almost like God turning round to the Israelites, them saying, God, how have you loved us? And he goes, because you don't look like the Edomites. Because I let you rebuild. I helped you rebuild. I put your life back together when you had nothing, and I didn't destroy you like I destroyed the Edomites. That's how much God loved them. That's how much God loved Israel. That's how much God loved you. Your life is not destroyed. You're not left desolate and in a pit. God loved you. So you can't turn around to him and say, God, how have you loved me? The fact that you're here today is proof that God loved you. Because you look like Israel. You don't look like the Edomites. And then he says a difficult thing. And it is difficult for us. He says, at the end of verse 5, he says, your, your eyes shall see, and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. And What is it that you'll see that will make you say the Lord is magnified beyond the borders of Israel? For them, what Malachi just said, it was the destruction of the Edomites. It was the destruction of God's enemies that made them say the Lord is great beyond the borders of Israel. And we struggle with that. But you know, when you really see it, that the enemies of God taken down that's something to praise god at when the enemies of god come down that's something to praise god at one of the ways i really think this practically works out is i remember so i remember the whole idea of like demons being cast out it was like yeah it's biblical but it's a bit creepy Um, I'm just being honest Um, but then we went to bless Wales and um, Ben Fitzgerald for those of you who don't know him he's going to be at Arise this year Um, he said can we have all of the lights on because we're going to cast out some demons because casting out demons is not a creepy and scary thing it's the enemies of God being cast down and that happens in the light and we rejoice at that we don't hide it away we rejoice at it. We don't, but we're not making the demon center stage. We're making Jesus who has power over death and hell at the center. When the enemies of God are cast down, we rejoice. Now, we, we're, in one, we're, we're okay with it being demons because we're like, devil, boo, Jesus, yes. You know, we're okay with that. But for them, it was very real people. Very real people. The Edomites were an actual group of people who lived on the outskirts of Israel. A very real group of people. But there are people who set themselves up in opposition to God. Pharaoh was one of them. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, he was one of them. Today, in this world, there are people who purposely set themselves up in opposition to God. They harden their hearts, and they won't respond to him. And when they're cast down, there's rejoicing in heaven. I just feel in my spirit that there's a question of, is that me? Is that me? Uh, Have I set myself up in opposition to God? I'd say, if that question's in your heart, then first of all, repent and set yourself that, Jesus, no, I don't want to run in opposition to you. I don't, want to, I don't want to be trying to stop the work that you're doing. I want to run with you. Tell him that. God, I want to run with you. Because the enemies of God don't run with him, they run from him. But I'd suggest, if that question is in your heart, then at the very least, God's given you an opportunity to turn around. There came a day with Pharaoh where the judgment was final, where there was no more chance. But up until then, God gave Pharaoh opportunity an opportunity an opportunity to repent. So if that question is in your heart, God, at the very least, is giving you the opportunity to stop running opposite to him and start running with him. But he says, I've loved you. I've loved you. The people turned around to him and they said, God, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? We don't believe it. We don't see it. And he says, Look at where you are today. See where you are today. See how much I've blessed you. I've rebuilt you. I've reestablished you. I've rebuilt your life. And you're not destroyed like the Edomites. You want to know how to know that I love you? It's because you're not destroyed. It's because you're rebuilt. The enemies of God they will be destroyed. And if you're in opposition to God, then in the end, when the Lord Jesus returns, he says, those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, they will be cast into the lake of fire. But he says, but you want to know how to know that I love you? It's because you're rebuilt. You're restored. Your life has been put back together and you're not destroyed. So he says to them, he says, the issue isn't me. I love you. And I've shown that I love you. God's saying to them, the issue isn't me. The issue is you. God said to the Israelites, I have loved you. And they said, God, we don't see how you love us. He says, this is how I've loved you. The question is, I don't see how you love me. And because God has perfect sight when he says that, oh, you've got to take it seriously, don't you? So he says this, and then he says, a son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am the master, where is my reverence? Now, the way things are meant to work is sons are meant to honor their fathers. It doesn't always happen in this world, but that is God's law. And I'd suggest it doesn't just apply to children either. All sons should be honoring to their fathers. Whether you're a child or you're an adult, sons should honor their fathers. Now, for children, practically it works out with, unless they're telling you something that is directly sin, be obedient to your parents. That's God's command. But just because when you're older, maybe you don't agree with your father's decision, it doesn't mean you have to stop honoring them. Fatherhood is an honorable thing, and you should honor your fathers, whether you agree with the decisions they make or not, whether they're good people or not, whether they're saved or not. Sons, honor your fathers. That's the rule. In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. You're like, I'm so glad I'm not an Old Testament Jew. Um, There are 613 Old Testament commands, not 10 commandments and 603 suggestions. There were 613 commands that you had to keep in order to keep the covenant. But the Big Ten, we call the Ten Commandments, um, one of them is children, honor your father and mother but then it's echoed again it's like wow well, that's old testament don't have to worry about that it's echoed again in ephesians chapter 6 verse 2 there are some things about the old testament law that we don't have to do for example you are allowed to eat bacon can i get an amen, amen. um <laughs> There are some things you don't have to do. There are other things you do have to do. And often those are things that Jesus or one of the apostles, they re-echoed. And this is one of them. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right. Obey your parents. And then he goes on and he says, it actually comes with a promise. If you obey your parents, you'll have a long life in the land. So if you want to live a long life, oh, there you go. Uh, Carlos is putting up on the screen. If you want to live a long and uh, prosperous life, the first place to start isn't with a 5 a.m. wake-up call to go to the gym. The first place to start is honor your father and your mother, and you'll live long in the land. Because then it won't be your own physical body trying to live long, but you'll have divine promises for a long life. So this commandment is still relevant for today. Sons, honor your father's. Love your dad. Um, Sons, honor your fathers. Likewise, workers, honor your bosses. Honor your bosses. For them, in fact, a couple verses down, uh, Carlos, if you could pull up Ephesians 6, verse 5. This is really challenging. He says, Bondservants, servants, be obedient to those who are your masters. Now, just to put it into context, the reason this is a challenge, particularly to us today, is because bond servants were people who were bound to a household, could not leave, and were not necessarily guaranteed payment. And God tells them, through the Apostle Paul, be obedient to your masters how much more you who are paid should you be obedient to your bosses? If bond servants who weren't guaranteed payment had to be obedient to their masters, how much more should workers who are paid be obedient to their bosses? Again, if it's sin, you honor God above any man, no matter who they are. But if they're just telling you to redo a piece of work, that you don't want to do, then it doesn't matter. Be obedient to your masters. And what the Lord says through Malachi, he says, this is is the principle, this is the culture of God. Sons honor their fathers and servants honor their masters. He says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. It's like everybody being like, yes, that's true, that's how things work. He says, if then I am the father, where is my honor? He says, remember, he says, I've loved you. And he says, the issue isn't me. I genuinely have loved you. The issue is you. Why don't you love me? He, and the way he says this works out is he says, if then I am the father and sons are meant to be honored by the father, why aren't you honoring me? Where's my honor? If I'm the master and masters are meant to be honored by, their, by those under them, then why don't you honor me? Says the Lord of hosts. He says the issue isn't me. The issue is you. The issue isn't have I loved you. The issue is why haven't you loved me in return? god is never at fault god is never at fault everything god says everything god does is not just good it's perfect god is never at fault so when he says i've loved you he has loved you with perfect love perfectly worked out perfect love that's the love god has shown towards you so if, if you look at the cross and you're like, God, you could have loved me in a better way, you're wrong. He could not have loved you in a more perfect way than sending his son to die for you. For like, God, you could have set me a better example. You could have done something better so I could have known that you loved me more. That's not God, that's your hard heart. He says, the issue isn't me. The issue is you. Why don't you honor me? Why don't you honor me? And you see, as we mentioned children and fathers earlier, because God, he, he is in this position, but he's, he's saying that I'm the father and you're the children. And honor and obedience in that relationship of Father and Son, honor is directly tied to obedience. And Jesus says, in John 14, verse 15, he says, if you obey him, you're demonstrating that you love him. So when God says, the issue isn't me, in regards to love. The issue is you. And then he turns around and he says, why won't you honor me? It's because if you honor God, truly honor him, you're demonstrating that you love him. by you honoring God, not in a way that you see fit, and this is one of the things that he gets onto in the later points in the book of Malachi, but, he, but here he's saying, if you honor God in the way that God receives honor, then you're demonstrating to him that you love him. But one thing that I find interesting is uh, in verse 6 of Malachi chapter 1, where he says, if then I am the father, and if I am a master. There's an if there. And that would suggest to me that not everybody is in that position with God. God is Father, but he's not necessarily your Father. God is Lord of all, but he's not necessarily your master. Because everybody is a creation of God, Not everybody is a child of God. God is king of the universe, but he may not yet be king of your heart. So if you want the love that God said to the Israelites in in verse two, that I have loved you. If you're looking at your life and you're like, my life has not been rebuilt. My life is still desolate. My life is in ruins. And for Israel, they had no one else to blame except themselves. If you want God to show his love to you and rebuild your life, then the only way is for him to be your father and for him to be your master. That's the only way. Because he says, I'm the father, I'm the master, and I've loved you. So there's no guarantee of his rebuilding, of his restoring, of his life-changing love unless he's your father, unless he's your master. And the way we come to the Father is through the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know the love of God that rebuilds your life, that restores your home, that rebuilds you from the ground up, changing your heart and your mind and all, then you must come to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. He says he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, the Lord Jesus said. So you must bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ if you want to know God as your Father. There's no point resisting, there's no point trying to find any other way. There's no point going, God, why couldn't you have loved me this way? Because the issue isn't with God's love. The issue is with your heart. You must bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other way. People often say that all, you know, if you're going up a mountain, all paths lead to the summit. When talking about religions, they say, all religions lead to God. I've been mountaineering with my dad, and I can tell you, not all paths lead to the summit. Some will just go round and round and round the mountain, and you'll die on the slopes. There's one path to the summit. There's one path to God, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. You must come through him. So bow the knee bow the knee christ said he loved you in this way that he gave his life for you while you were still a sinner you don't need anything else bow the knee surrender to him he's not to he's not seeking to come in just as a friend and a companion he's coming in as lord and master as king and savior and then he says if you obey me you're my friend But bow the knee. There's no other way to the Father except through the Lord Jesus Christ. But if God is your Father, if God is your Master, then He says, honor me. Honor me. What what, what does that look like? What does honoring God look like? Many things He could do. I'd suggest a main one and the one that the Lord laid on my heart for this morning, was intentionally speak well of what God says is good. Be like, God, I love you, but I don't like what you did over there. But God is so perfect that you saying you don't like what he did is reflecting on his own character. God is so perfect. Sometimes you might do something. For example, let's say you're doing some plumbing work around the house because there's a leaky tap. And you, you kind of spend a couple hours on it, but it's still leaking afterwards. And you kind of go, yeah, that wasn't really my best work. It's not a real reflection on my abilities. Because everything God does is perfect. He never has a bad day. If you say the work that God did is imperfect, you're saying what God who God is, is imperfect. So intention, So, if you want to honor God, and in honoring God, you're obeying him, and in obeying him, you're demonstrating that you love him, then speak well of what God says is good. So speak well of your marriage. Speak well of your marriage. God says marriage is good. The only thing God said that was not good in the garden was that Adam was alone. He then made Eve, brought them together, and he said it was good. So speak well of your marriage. Men, you who found a wife found a good thing. So don't talk badly about her to her face, and don't talk badly about her to your friends. Because she may not hear, she may never hear, but God does. And this isn't about honoring your wife, this is about honoring God. So don't talk badly about your wife you found a wife, you found a good thing. And if you're praying for a wife, then you're praying for a good thing. But don't be praying for a wife if you've already got one, because God won't answer that. (laughs) But ladies, it's not all on the men. God says to honor your husbands. Because if children are to honor their fathers, who do you think the daughters and the sons are going to copy? So ladies, honor your husbands. Are they perfect? No. You can't all be like me. No. Uh, (laughs) None of us are perfect. But husbands are worthy of honor. So don't talk badly about them to their faces. And don't talk badly about them to their friends. Because this is about honoring God, not about honoring your husbands. Honor your family. Are children hard work? Who said that? No. Um, (laughs) Yes, children are hard work. But just because they're hard work doesn't mean you have to speak badly of them. Just because they're disobedient doesn't mean they're a stupid kid who never will amount to anything. God says children are a gift from him. And if you're saying that your children are not a gift, then you're saying the work that God did is imperfect, which is dishonoring to God. So don't speak badly of your children. Speak well of them. Build them up. Build them up. It's okay to be, in that sense, proud of your kids. Build them up. And just as you would say to them, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Because it will be those little things that you say, those little things that you do, both good and bad, those will be the things that your children remember. It won't be when you save, I mean, it might be if it's Disneyland, but it won't be when you saved up thousands of pounds and took them on a trip. It'll be the little thing that you didn't even remember you did when you were doing it, let alone 10 years later. Honor your children. Speak well of them because God says they're good. We're a body of Christ. That's good. God's put us together. He says, don't forsake the gathering together of the assembly because it's a good thing to gather together and worship the Lord. When we're gathered together in a group, the Lord's blessing is upon it in a way that he doesn't guarantee or promise when you're alone. So don't speak badly of your church. You see in the news so much whistleblowers of saying, this pastor did this, or this person did this, or, you know, and some of them are genuinely big issues. But we don't turn to the world to settle matters of the household of faith. Honor the church because it's the bride of Christ. And also, you're a part of it. So if you're dishonoring it, you're dishonoring yourself, and that's dumb. Honour the church. It's the bride of Christ. Amen. And then honour the leaders of the church. Amen. Because they're worthy of honour. Are they perfect? No. Why were you expecting <laughs> why, why were you expecting them to be? They're people. They're anointed by God and we trust they're walking in maturity and in obedience to the Lord. But they're people. They're not God. They're not Jesus, they're representatives of him. So you honor the bride of Christ and you honor those shepherds that God has put over this local body. I I wasn't saying it for that, but thank you, June. Um, And then, and this one may be, well, uh, to be honest, they've probably all been controversial. Honor the government. You see it in a lot of older films where they say fear God and honor the king. It doesn't really matter whether you like King Charles or not. He's the king. So you honor him. It doesn't matter whether you like Mark Drakeford or not. He's the first minister. It doesn't matter whether you like paying taxes or not. Jesus himself said, give to Caesar, give to the king what belongs to the king. So your coin, that, well, currently has a queen's face on it because I haven't got around to changing all of them yet. Um, But give to the king, give to the government what belongs to the government. And then give to God what belongs to God. And that's you. That was Jesus' point in that. Said this coin, yeah, give it to Caesar. But this you, you, that's stamped with the image of God, give it to God. So speak well of what God says is good. And as you honor those things, you're walking in obedience to the Lord. And as you're walking in obedience to the Lord, you're demonstrating your love for him. So as Malachi starts off this book, and there's another five questions that we'll look at at another point god willing we'll look at one of them this afternoon but as god starts off this book and he says i love you what's your response to him and i don't i don't want you to say it out loud but what's your response to him is it how have you loved me or is it i know and i love you too Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the prophetic voice. Lord, I thank you for the prophetic voice of thousands of years ago that you directly inspired by your Holy Spirit and we have written here. Lord, I thank you for the prophetic voice today that you continue to speak. Lord, I thank you for your word to us that you have loved us. Lord, I pray that you would change hearts that would respond, how have you loved me? Lord Jesus, you've laid out your love so clearly, so clearly to us. Lord Jesus, let our hearts' response to you be that we will follow you because we know that you love us. Lord, that we will honor you as a son honors the father and as a servant honors the master because we know that you love us. Lord, the complaint that you had against your people that in, in Malachi's day would not be a complaint that you have against us in this place. But Lord, that we would say with our words and say with our actions that we love you too. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And if you haven't yet responded to the Lord, then today's the day. Respond to the Lord where you are. Come up for prayer. And if you want prayer for anything else, big or small, then there's going to be the ministry team up and you come. We'll stand with you in faith as, uh, before the Lord. Let's, let's close in worship.